You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. My name is Benjamin. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the three pastors here, and we are pleased to have you here worshiping with us. It's a great and awesome freedom to have and a great and awesome thing we can do. And I know millions and millions and millions of people wish they could gather as we are right now. I encourage you to fill out that questionnaire if you haven't already and drop it in the offering box. It's that box beside the communion cups on your way out. We need your feedback to see if this is something that we should be investing in as a church. As well, some awesome news. As you heard, uh, Mass will be no more as of the 21st. That is not next Sunday, but next Monday. And there are some happy people. And I just want to, again, encourage you and celebrate the fact that we've come through this, a very unified church. We've decided not to make secondary issues, a primary issues, and we decided to focus on the Lord, And we have come through this pretty much unified. And so I want to thank you for that. And so just want to encourage you to be, uh, to be aware of different people. Some of you are going to be like, yeah, I'm never wearing one of these again. And you're going to throw it out and it's going to be gone. And you're going to come in here on the, the, uh, the next Monday, not, or not next Sunday, but the next one after that. And that's great. But some people might be wearing masks though, because they're uncomfortable with it. And so don't look at them like they're like, so that was so 2021, but, but like respect it. If they're not comfortable, if you're not comfortable, you can wear a mask by all means. You have the right to, it's your freedom to be able to do that. You can wear a mask for for the next couple of months, next six months, a year, if you want, and no one should look at you any differently. And in the same way, for those of you that aren't comfortable with uh, taking off the mask yet, as people engage you with no mask, don't look at them like they have the bubonic plague and, and like look down on them. Respect each, every, each person's decision and let's move forward in the unity that we've had. So I just want to encourage you in that. And as well, to remind you, next uh, Sunday is the first week where we have children's ministry in both services. So that's a big step for us. So please be praying for that. Now, this sermon is called God First. It is the third in our uh, series called uh, God or Money, Who's Running Your Life? And now, most of you got a study guide. If you were here, the first two sermons, you would have gotten one. We don't have any more. We only printed 150, had them printed at the local print shop, and they're all gone. So that's great. But they're online if you want to. Uh, It has all the references we're going through. It has homework uh, to help you dive deeper into it. So I hope you did last week's homework, um, which was really looking, taking taking a look at how you use your time and your talents and how much of that actually goes towards the Lord. So you can turn to chapter 3. If you have a study guide, you won't need to pick up a Bible because all the the references are in there for you to follow along with. Uh, But if you don't, then I'd encourage you to pick up a Bible. If you didn't hear any of those uh, sermons, each one builds upon another. And so the first one was the ultimatum that Jesus gives us, that you can't serve both God and money. One of those uh, has to be first, 
And it's got, if Jesus isn't first in your life, well, then he can't be second, third, or fourth. Money has to fall in line after Christ, who he says has to be first. Then the second sermon was on our mindset, how we view the world, our time, our talents, and treasures as stewards, that it's not ours, that everything we've been given is God's, and we are managing it or stewarding it for him until he returns. Today we're going to talk about one of the most controversial subjects that most pastors, many pastors, don't even want to go anywhere near. It's probably not a sermon you woke up and said, oh, I can't wait to go to church and hear a sermon about tithing. Yet it's an important subject, and whether it may be uncomfortable to us because we are North Americans and and we are very uh, me-orientated, it's something we see all the way through Scripture, and therefore it's something we need to address. We cannot expect our finances to get straightened out if we don't get this understanding in our lives. And so I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, as the world turns and spins and all the things we see going on as man tells you to get out and and surprisingly enough the world falls apart even more and more lord would you help us who claim to be followers of christ to orientate our lives to your word to your direction so that whatever else is happening in the world and around us we are not caught up and our lives don't fall apart as others do. Lord, you have given us some clear instruction on how to manage money. And Lord, I, this isn't about me. This isn't about the church so much as it's about the individual Christian and their desire to do things the way you want them to be done, to honor you. And so help us, Lord, help me, a simple man, to uh, talk about this um, issue with our people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two men were marooned on an island on an island together. Uh, their ship sunk, and they didn't see any rescue boats going by. One man paced back and forth across the beach, worried and scared stiff that he'd spend the rest of his life and die on this island, while the other sat in suntanned, thinking or sitting quietly and reflecting. The first man said to the second, "Aren't you afraid we're going to die on this island alone?" The second man said, no, 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 I'm not worried at all. I make $100,000 a week, and I tithe faithfully every single week to the church, and so I know the pastor is going to do whatever he needs to do to find me. (laughs) So now I know you may have heard in the past some pastors talk about money, and some of them have the wrong intention. They want your funds so that they can you know, have $100,000 paychecks and drive Mercedes-Benz or whatever, or they want a swimming pool in the church or a new gym in the church. Not so. I don't want your money. And you will know if you've been coming here for a while, uh, I don't make decisions. I don't know who gives what, and I don't want to know who gives what. This is about, not about me, this is about you and about God. And we're going to go through seven verses. There are many more. Seven verses, and we're going to look at some different things that God has to say about tithing. The first one, you'll see it in your study guides, is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. The writer says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. For six out of seven of these, if you've got your study guides, there's fill in the blanks. The first one is 
for you, filled in for you. And it's this, and it's the, the whole uh, thrust of this sermon, is that the first is God's. The first of everything in your life belongs to God. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with your time, with your talents, with your treasures. The truth is that as human beings, if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to uh, give our best to whatever we honor. So our best usually goes uh, to the first, the first in our lives, whether it's with our time. You know, if, if the most important thing uh, is the TV, then guess what? Who's going to get a bulk of your time? It's the TV. If your phone is one of the most important things to you, it's often going to get your first, right? When you wake up first in the morning, you're, you're going to be tempted, or some of you do, pick up your phone and read what's going on instead of being in God's Word. Same with our talents. We tend to put our talents into what is important, what is first in our life, what is best in our lives. So for some of you, it might be that your house is, is you need to have this house and your dream house, and, and you're willing to pay way, war, way more than you make and, and give a lot of your, your talents to making money so that you can have a big price, and a big house, and that's overflated, and most of your mortgage payment or your money goes to that house. For some of you, it's your, your uh, technology. You just love technology. You need new technology. So you're going to give your talents to making money so that you can buy new new technology every year because that's what's important in your life. Whatever it is, if you look at where you invest a lot of your time, talents, and treasures, that will tell you what is first in your life or what you desire to honor. But here we have this thing called tithing. It isn't a thing, it's actually a command. It's a command with a promise, and a lot of God's commands have a promise attached to them. Uh, this is a promise that if you honor the Lord, then he will honor you. Now, it's not popular in our modern day. It's not even popular in an evangelical church. And by that, I mean a church that says it believes that the Bible is God's word and that it is correct. It is without error. Uh, the Fraser Research Institute, which is a very big, prominent research uh, facility, uh, it studied in 2018 charitable givings in the United States and Canada, and it compared it, and you can look at it, and it breaks down state by state, uh, province by province, and it found that uh, evangelical or Bible-believing Christians give an average of 2.5% of their income to their church. That's down from the height of the Great Depression, at the worst period of the Great Depression, in which uh, Bible-believing Christians gave 3.2% of their income as an average. So it isn't a popular concept. Pew Research did a study that looked at time and how much time people give to the church. And they found that the average Christian gives uh, about 15 minutes a week of time serving to their local church out of or sorry, 168 hours a week. So it isn't that much because we live in a society that is all about us. Its focus is building our kingdom, a kingdom of self, a kingdom of comfort. And yet, the Lord says, honor me, and what you honor me with shows how much you value me. And so, we don't want to give to God just to get from God. We want to give to God because he's worthy of our honor. He's the only one worthy of our honor. Second verse 
says this in Exodus 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verses 2 to 12, 2 and 12. Concentra- consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal. It is mine. You are to present to the Lord every firstborn male of the womb. All firstborn offspring of livestock you own that are males will be the Lord's. You know what? God often speaks to us in very plain Jane English, doesn't he? It is mine. It is mine, says the Lord. That's pretty straightforward, but that's hard for us, isn't it? Because we don't look at our lives as his. We often look at our lives as ours. And it takes the right kind of attitude to view your life as his. I need some uh, helpers. I, I, young lady, Sparrow, would you come up here? Shiloh, uh, can, can you be a helpers? Let's pretend for a minute that I am God, okay? I am God, and you are my people. Now, I'm going to give you some of what is mine, Sparrow, and I'm going to give you, Shiloh, some of what is mine because I love you and I care about you and you're going to steward it. But in that, I'm going to ask you for a portion of that back. Can I have a portion of what is mine uh, back, please, Sparrow? I can't afford it. It's yours and you can't afford it? Oh, I thought everything was from me to you. Okay, let's see. Uh, Shiloh, can I have a portion of what I gave you back so I can put it to work building my kingdom? Thank you. That's, that's a great attitude to have. She understands that me being God gave her everything, and it's not hers. You, on the other hand. All right, thanks, ladies. Give these girls a hand of applause. And they didn't try and steal the cash either. The two volunteers I had before, Steph tried to actually take the cash and walk away. So it shows character. Good job, parents. of the goods. But if you're filling in the blanks, uh, main point number two, it's not the 10% that it's port- that's important. It's God's place in your life that's important. Like God doesn't need your money, but he wants to make sure you have him in the right place in your life. And that's going to come from your attitude. How do you view life? Billy Graham said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. Isn't that true? At our home, the first thing on our budget, the first line on our budget is God. When we get paid, the first uh, amount of money that comes off and goes to it is God. Number two is the missions that we are involved in supporting. Those two first, before everything else after. Because we know if God uh, has gifted us with the funds and we know that that comes through your giving, then we have to give it back to him and we're so thankful that he has. And it's not just with our uh, money, but it's with our time. When we, before we became a part of a, uh, a pastoral family, we were a part of a church and we would not only tithe our income, but we would tithe our time. And so now that we're a pastoral family, we still give. We're paid. I'm paid for 40 hours. But then we give above and beyond that more time back to the Lord's because everything is from him. And so with thankfulness, we give back a portion of what is given. It's an attitude. And tithing isn't hard if you get that right, if you understand everything is a gift from him. 
Have you ever wondered why, um, when we look at Cain and Abel, that God rejected Cain's offering and he uh, regarded or accepted Abel's offering? Let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. It's in your study guides. It says thus, in the course of time, okay, stop there. That's an amount of time. So in, and if you look at it in the Hebrew, it says in the process of time. So an amount of time. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce. Notice, not the first fruits. Some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. So Abel raised animals. He was a rancher, we could call him. And he brought his first fruits. And now as a rancher, he knows that he doesn't know how many babies are going to be born, and that's his livelihood, and he's got to feed his family and, and sell the, the meat and the, and the furs. But he takes his first, and he takes his best, and he brings it to the Lord first. Whereas it says that Cain, over a process of time, so an undefined amount of time, Cain didn't bring his first. He gathered up some, we don't know the amount, and brought it to God. Essentially, Cain looked after himself first, and the leftovers went to God. That's point number three. God is king and has given all and is therefore worthy of more than leftovers. When I was in uh, school, uh, so I went back to school at age 31, and um, so I'm there, I'm older than most students, I'm raising my two children on my own, um, working at night, um, sometimes for a farmer, so we're living off a budget. It's, you know, as a single parent at 31, you're, you don't have an unlimited amount of money, and it's a four-year degree, and so... Uh, we, were, we had a class on tithing, and we, they brought in some Hebrew experts, and they talked about it in the Old Testament, and then we talked about it and debated. And I remember this one guy, he's, he's probably older, closer to my age, he was back in school uh, as a sort of second career, and he was married, and he said, well, we don't do it anyway like that at our house. Uh, that's Old Testament. The way we do it is, because God understands our situation, and we're working, and I'm a student, um, and so the things are hard. So we pay our bills first, um, and then we, we take what we need, and whatever's left over at the end of the month, we give it back to God. And somebody brought up, I, I can't remember who it is, but essentially they called them out and said, so what you're saying is that you give God your leftovers. Is that right? He didn't like that, but essentially that's what he was doing. But is that the way that God treats us? Does God give us the leftovers? Does he look after the birds and look after the flowers and look after the stars and say, oh, well, I only got this much left. There you go, people. No, God gives us his best. He gave us his best in his son. And we're the created beings. So the, therefore, the creator deserves our very, very best because he is, and I want you to remember this word, preeminent. You say that after me, preeminent. That's an important theological term. You see it all through the Bible. You don't see that word, but you see the message throughout the Bible that God is first. He cannot be second. He is only first, and he is worthy of first. Jesus affirmed what we see starting in Genesis all the way to the end of the prophets and all the way through the New Testament. In Mark chapter 7, somebody came up to Jesus and said, 
Jesus, if we can follow one commandment, which one would you say is the most important? Jesus answered him, The most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. So point number four is this, that God is first and cannot be second. This is preeminence. That not only he chooses not to be second, okay, like, I'm going to give you an example here. It's a cheesy example, but, so my hair was born red, right? No matter how much I want it to be dark, it can't be dark, right? I can't will it into being dark. I could dye it, but it's still not truly dark, right? It's going to go gray. In fact, some of my children remind me it's going gray, but it's never going to be dark, right? And so God... The creator of everything cannot be second because he is first. He is holy. He is wholly set apart, entirely different from everything else, and cannot be second. We see it, and Paul says it. I'll read it. It's not in your uh, study guides, but I'll read it. Paul says it beautifully in Acts 17, verses 24 to 25. The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in the temples made by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all and breath to all things. He is all and all, and therefore worthy of first. And sometimes it amazes me, like, uh, as Christians, that we struggle with this concept, especially when it's around our money. Uh, is that, is that, ah, I really struggle with giving God, but you know what? I'll give my irresponsible family members or my irresponsible friends, I'll bail them out constantly, giving them money that might have been for God. That's easy for a lot of people to give uh, money away irresponsibly to other things. When it comes to God, it's just hard thing for Christians. And I think it's because we don't realize he's preeminent. He's above all things. We're called by Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength that encompasses every area of our life. And so I know some of you might be thinking, okay, you've only said Old Testament, and I think this is an Old Testament concept. We Aren't we New Testament Christians? Aren't we under grace and not law? Well, you're right. We aren't under law. We are under grace. We don't have to earn our way to heaven. That was given to us by Jesus Christ. And there are plenty of examples all through the Old Testament. You know, when Jacob, uh, the grandson of Abraham, son of Isaac, uh, was done wrestling with the Lord, he, he says in Genesis 28, uh, verse 22, he says, This stone I have set up as a marker to be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all you give me. Fast forward a couple thousand years, and King Hezekiah is reforming the kingdom that is broken down. They've neglected God, neglected his kingdom, and he reads, he, he discovers the Old Testament, and he, he sees, whoa, I'm to give a portion, a tenth of my income to God's temple, and he does that. And then it tells us in Second Chronicles 31.6, it says, For as the Israelites and the Judaites who lived in the cities of Judah, they also brought a tenth of cattle and sheep, a tenth of the dedicated things that are 
are consecrated to the Lord their God. So there's plenty of Old Testament examples of, of men giving their, and women giving their time, talents, and treasures to God. But show me a New Testament, Ben. Because the New Testament did away with all the Old Testament laws, right? right? We don't honor our parents anymore. We, we can murder people now, and then we can commit adultery and lie and steal, right? Those things are all obsolete. But I'll give you one just so you know that the Bible talks about it. You may have never seen it. In fact, it was Jesus himself that references tithing. Look at Matthew 23. It's there in your study guides. Verse 23. This is when Jesus is slamming the Pharisees for being religious hypocrites. And then he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of your mint. You, you pay a tenth of your mint and your dill and your cumin. So I'll stop there. I'm going to explain what he's saying. So the Pharisees are rich. A lot of them are corrupt. They're like politicians. A lot of the times they're, they take a lot more than they were asked to give. So, so they're also hypocrites. They, they try and make everyone think they're doing really well and they're, they're really following God and they're really genuine. So they've got these spice gardens. Now, most people, we'd all be poor. Um, and so most of us would be poor. And there was a few rich people, the Pharisees and the governors, um, and then a few other people. And so they have a spice garden. Okay, spices were for rich people only. And so they would take it, and they'd be like, one for me, one for me, one for me, number 10, for God, like these little leaves. And they'd take it to the temple, and they look at how great I am, everyone. And so Jesus is slamming them. And look what he says here. He says, you do this, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith, much more important in God's eyes than tithing. But, look at this, these things should have been done without neglecting the other. So wait a second, what things should have been done? Well, they're tithing. Should have been done without neglecting justice, mercy, and faith. And so this is Jesus' perfect opportunity to say, what are you doing that anymore? We don't tithe anymore. This is New Testament, man. Get with it. No, he says, these things should have been done without neglecting the more important things. And so tithing, this is number five. Tithing is not an Old Testament or a New Testament thing. It's a biblical ordinance. It's something that you do. It's something that the Bible speaks of and that the, early, that the Old Testament did and that the first church did. And so we don't live in temples anymore. We are the church. We know that. This group of people, we are the church. But we have these things called buildings. And it'd be great if we could just, we we're all hard enough to chill out there on the front lawn and endure the black flies and then the mosquitoes and then the horse flies and then the cold winters. It'd be great if we could do that. But let's be honest, we're not tough enough to do that. And so we have these things called buildings. And so in a practical sense, we need to look after them. And, you know, we can do a lot of things as Christians. I can find myself as well. We can complain about the church, right? Let's be honest. We're good at complaining about the church. And sometimes we're, we're not as good at putting our own skin in the game. It reminds me of a, of a story I heard about a, a guy who brought his family to church, the church they'd go to every week. And uh, he was driving home afterwards after the service with his family, and he was complaining about everything. And he said, the music was too loud, and the sermon was too long, and the announcements were unclear, and the building's too hot, and the people were unfriendly. And he went on and on, complaining about virtually everything. Finally, his very observant son said, Dad, you've got to admit, it wasn't a bad show for a buck. <laughs> you get it? That the son observed that the dad only puts a buck in the plate. 
right? And so in a practical sense, what you give builds this. And this, I like to think of churches as embassies. You know, when you, every country is supposed to have an embassy in every other country, right? And it's the place that you go if you want to speak to somebody about that nation or you have inquiries or problems, or you want to get a visa or, or so on and so forth, or a safe place for people of that nationality to come to. And so in every town, God builds an embassy, a church. And right, and, and what, and the way that embassy or that church looks and, and, and acts says something about the country, right? If your embassy is a dump, what does it say to people driving by or coming in? Well, those people really don't care much about their nation, or in our case, our God. And so we need to, when we give, we give to have a building and a building that looks nice and have lights and AC and heat in the winter and sound and paint and carpet and somebody to maintain it, right? There's the practical things. When you go to an embassy, you'll find staff, right? The country sends staff to the embassy to man it. When I was uh, supposed to go over to South Sudan uh, to teach in March of 2020, I needed a visa, so I had to go through the embassy. But we don't, they don't have an embassy. South Sudan doesn't have an embassy in Canada. So I had to go through the one in Washington in the U.S. And so it was a giant debacle. I got the visa paperwork, printed, uh, filled it all in, got my check, sent my passport with my check and the visa application through FedEx. It arrived. I talked to somebody. Yeah, we've received it there. And then nothing. And then nothing. And then nothing and then nothing. And that's, so it's February and it's taken way too long. And so I call, and nobody returns my calls. And I call again, nobody returns my calls. COVID's starting to, to show in the news, and still nothing, and still nothing. And then, so it's March, and I still haven't heard anything or talked to anyone. I can't get a hold of anyone. And so I call far-reaching ministers, and I'm like, this is what's happened. And they're like, oh, this is so, so, Sudan. You know what probably happened? They either lost it, or they sold it. And they don't want to tell you about it. Right? And so what did that tell me about South Sudan? If that's who they send to represent their country, it doesn't look very good. And, and so if we want good people to represent our churches to the community, to the people coming in, that's what your giving goes towards, to hire competent people, hopefully. To the ministries, it goes towards building up ministries that are good and quality and effective. It goes to uh, building a, uh, websites. You ever go on a church website and it's like something out of 1995, right? And you're like, what? I can't negotiate this. And, and what is this? And, and I, can't, I can't just... Simple things you can't do, right? It's like, like, it's time to bring it into the 21st century. And what does that say when you go on a website? A church website, it's like, ah, these people don't care enough to invest a few thousand dollars into building a good website. Right? Everything you give goes to practically run the church in building the kingdom in this local community. And the cool thing about the Baptist model is this. The Baptist model is, is I think, one of the best models out there because you, the people, determine what happens to the, with the finances. The leaders come out of you, the people, the deacons, the elders, come out of the membership. So the members determine at budget time, they can ask questions. Everything is there. Salaries are there. How much was spent was there. Savings. There's no hidden agendas. And so that's why I think every giver of a church, everyone who faithfully gives should be a member of the church so that they can make sure there's no 
hanky-panky stuff going on. And maybe you've had those experiences before where pastors or leaders use it like it's their own personal piggy bank. Well, guess what? You can hire or you can fire me and hire somebody else if I'm an incompetent ninny. And you should be a part of the church part of that church if you're not. So there's my mission or my members pitch. So it's a biblical thing. Sixth point, look at Malachi. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Malachi. What's happening here is, again, the people have turned away from God. The Israelites have turned away from God. And so God asks, uh, speaks through Malachi and he delivers a message to them because they think everything's good. He says, because I, the Lord, have not changed. That's an important thing to remember. He's the same now as he was in 2000 AD. Your descendants, you descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. Since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statues. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can I, we return? Will, God, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Do we rob you, you ask? How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth of the contributions. You are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Sixth point is this. Tithing is either offered or it's being stolen. Not according to me, but according to God. It's either freely offered or it's being stolen in God's eyes. And you know what I personally hate is when leaders uh, don't tell you everything that they expect from you, but then they get mad later, right? You ever have leaders like that? They're like, come under my authority. And then they don't tell you all the things that they expect until you're already under them. Well, that's not the same way it is. That's not the way it is with Jesus. That's one of the things I loved about him. When in 2006, when I was first reading the Bible over in the sandbox, and I'm like, wow, this Jesus is really different than what I had heard about. He's like so merciful and so full of grace and love, and he'll take me in my deplorable, sinful state, and he'll love me and forgive me and work with me. That's amazing. The other thing is, wow, this Jesus is straightforward. Like, he didn't pull any punches. He's not worried about, about uh, political correctness. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow after me. Like, he's so straightforward. And God lays it out straightforward here. I love that about him. Hey, you're fought, walking away from me. How are we walking away from you? You're robbing me. How am I robbing you? You're not bringing me what I've told you to bring. And now you're struggling. Your land is under a curse. It's out of whack. It's in a mess because you're not honoring me. So come back to me. Come back to me. Last point. And then I won't talk about it for four or five more years. <laughs> Same chapter 3. We're continuing on verse 10. God says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse. Notice that, the full. Maybe somebody's bringing like 3 or 5 or 10 or 9.9. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven to pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will so that it will not ruin the produce of your land or the vine of your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Last point is this. Tithing is a two-way test. Two-way test. The first is to tell you and God 
if you really trust him. Trust him. The second is to show you that he is faithful, that he is faithful. People think often in our minds, we, you know, we think, oh, 100% me or 98% me is better than 90% me and 10% God. But it's just not that way because everything's from God and therefore God is able to multiply everything. So we do it not to get, but God has this promise, test me, he says. And you really can't know it. You really can't believe it until you do it. And I think anyone who ties, if you know somebody, would say that. Like, God has been so faithful to me as I give back to him. He's multiplied far beyond what I ever gave because that's the way he works. There's a guy that comes to our church. His name's Jim. And Jim will tell you what he thinks. That's one of the things I love about Jim. And so Jim and I were talking, and we were just talking the other day, last week, about, about this series, and, and he thought it was a great series. And he's talking, sharing this story about when he was a young man, about my age, early 40s, and he was a teacher working in, uh, working in teachers uh, in a school, as teachers do. Duh. And, uh, and he came into the break room where all the teachers were, and he said that they were all upset they were angry, a bunch of them, because I guess on your taxes, you used to be able to claim $100 towards charity, even if you hadn't actually given $100 towards charity, or it was $100 or what you had actually given. And so the teachers were all upset because the prime minister had taken this away. And so they're like, oh, I can't believe he took that away. And, and Jim, in his passion, says, I can't believe how cheap you are that you don't even give $100, and so you're upset because you can't get this free claim. And then they kind of looked at him, and there were some other Christians in the room, and they're, and they're like, like, oh, yeah, you're one of these tithers. You actually give 10% of your income, Jim? How do you pay your credit card bills? And he says, I don't have any credit card bills. He said, okay, well, how do you pay your mortgage then? And he said, I don't have a mortgage in his early 40s. And he said, well, how'd you pay for that new vehicle? Because he said he had a new vehicle up front. It's paid for. And they made the same as he made. And yet he said, God has given far more than I've ever given out back to me. He multiplies it. That is God's promise. And so it's an amazing thing. And you'll probably find yourself falling into one or two groups. Group one says, God has been so faithful to me as I give to him that I can't afford not to give to him. That's some of you. Calvary has an extreme, we're not the average church. There are a lot of extremely generous people. And like I've said before, I don't know what anyone gives. I don't want to know what everyone gives. There's only three people that know that. God, the envelope steward, and the treasurer. But there are some extremely generous givers, and I want to thank you for what you do, and we want to steward that well, and we want you to hold us accountable, and we want you to be a part of distributing those well. But then there's group two. Group two is really who this message is to, the ones that say, I can't afford to give back to God. And so as we're looking at this series on money, right you may be in debt, like two-thirds of the people are. You may have a lot of credit card debt. Consumer debt went up more last year than it uh, had only a second to one time in the nation. You might be unlike that, but you can't expect your finances to come and get sorted out if you don't put God in his proper place. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Dustin to come up and lead us in communion, and then we'll be off. Lord, I thank you for your word. 
Lord, I wouldn't have thought to do this unless you told me to. But I see that you're faithful. And so, Lord, I pray that I'm thankful, Lord, that nobody got up and stormed out of here. I can't believe this church, greedy pastor. But, Lord, I hope that they see that this is from you. This is your word. That this is something you ask your people to do because we're different than the rest of the world. And, Lord, that you are faithful. And I just pray that everyone, whether they're listening, whether they're part of this church or they're part of another church, that they would decide to give back to you what is rightfully yours, to honor you with their time, their talents, and their treasures, not just the one, but with all. And that they would see that you will then get involved in their life and start sorting out the things that they can't sort out themselves because you are faithful. We thank you for your goodness. Pray that anything I've said that is unbiblical and not true would be corrected and would be uh, not remembered anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.